Welcome to the podcast. It's myself, Stu, along with Mr. Glenn Beck. Yeah, yeah. That's right, Stu. there he is. Uh, we talk uh, a lot about the whistleblower today. Do we really need to know this guy's name? Is it important? Uh, Glenn thinks it is, and and he outlines a really good case as to why we need to know uh, about what. Uh, not only who this guy is, but much more importantly, who he was connected with and what his identity uncovers in this giant Ukraine scandal. We also talked to a brand new congressional candidate in Utah running for a seat that's going to be really close. Uh, Burgess Owens, who's a former, of course, NFL star, um, will also uh, join us today. And Rabbi Daniel Lappin will be with us as well. Uh, we talk that uh, about that and also... Quid pro quos. We try to say it 6,000 times on today's program. Let's see if we get there. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. This whistleblower is Al Capone's accountant. Remember, Al Capone wouldn't have gone to jail if it wasn't for the meticulous accounting records that his accountant did. There was it was all under code. And nobody wanted him to uh, testify. I, well, I should say the good guys wanted him to testify. The bad guys, even the bad guys in the police, did everything they could to make sure he never testified. Al Capone wanted him any place but on the witness stand because he was the only guy that could crack open all of it. Now, he didn't want to testify against Al Capone. He knew what that meant. He's probably a dead man. He didn't want to do it. He wasn't necessarily on the side of the good guys. But they finally got him to court, and he testified. But Al Capone never would have put his accountant forward. Right. Like they the Democrats, you know, I mean, they went to Schiff was involved in this beforehand. They highlighted this guy as the whistleblower. And if he's the guy that unravels all this, why would they want to promote his profile? Why? People do stupid, really stupid things. (laughs) Congressional stupidity is a good argument. And in in passion, Mm -hmm. when you are so when your only goal is destroy him, destroy him, destroy him at any cost, destroy him. When your passion is that high, you make stupid mistakes. Why would Al Capone keep a detailed accounting record of who he was bribing, how it was going, money going here to there? Why would you keep that in paper? I, I mean, uh, arrogance. Well, yeah, but I mean, arrogance. he's actually running a business, right? There's a reason. So is for the him. DNC. Yeah, no, and I agree. So is the DNC. But like, you could have easily. Instead of doing a whistleblower report to get this whole thing kicked off, you could have leaked it to the New York Times and had them write an article about this call, and you would have had a, a ball rolling in that way. Then you all could have been out publishing, pub, you know, we need these transcripts and blah, blah, blah. You could have done all of that, right? It, yes, but you needed somebody to lodge the complaint with standing. Remember, that's the whole whistleblower thing. You have to lodge it with standing. Well, for a whistleblower complaint. But, I mean, to get an impeachment done, you, you could have started this with a media report easily. And it could have built right, but the whole this. idea, the whole idea with the Democrats has been get somebody on the inside. Get somebody who's on the inside. They're around him the whole time. He's crazy. He's dangerous. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was part of this. There's, 
there's this guy. He's, I mean, he's a career diplomat. He's been around forever. He's just a guy in the White House. He was part of that phone call. He heard it, and he was so upset about it. And he's been hearing other people that were so upset. Well, there weren't really necessarily a lot of people that were really upset that were on the phone call. Uh, you know, he didn't even say there was quid pro quo. When he first wrote his account, there was right. no mention of quid pro quo until he met with Adam Schiff. But let's 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 back up for a second. Mm-hmm. This guy, I believe he is in danger. But I believe that the Democrats have been saying this. Look. He was the guy until five days after our chalkboard. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting to you that it, that definitely is what did it. But I do believe, because I know everyone on Capitol Hill was talking about that chalkboard within the first couple of days of that chalkboard being out. Okay? They watched it as groups. So that got out. What do they have? This guy is center. He was a missing piece that we didn't even know existed. And if you'll remember, we did the chalkboard. Five days later, they're like, don't worry about this guy. Yeah, this guy might have political connections, so don't even worry about this guy. This guy, we got another guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, remember that? Mm -hmm. And they just tried to brush him off and bury him. And I said on the air, who cares about another whistleblower? We have the transcripts. Right. But once you know the name of this guy and you can do your homework and see where he was positioned, he's the smoking gun. He's the smoking gun. He's the guy in the center of all of this. It even goes back to um, before the, the inauguration. His attorney now, <laughs> listen to this. his attorney is the guy who... Um, in 2017 inauguration um he starts talking about how trump has got to go um as soon as uh in july of 2017 he says i predict cnn is going to play a key role in the real donald trump um not finishing out his first term as president we'll get rid of him and and this country is strong enough to survive him and even his supporters uh, as one falls, meaning as as one person leaves the White House that is not on the side of Donald Trump, as one falls, two more will take their place. He promised that a coup would occur in many steps. The coup has this is this is the the whistleblower's attorney in uh, 2017. The coup has started. First of many steps, rebellion, impeachment will follow ultimately. A terrible attorney. Why would you be publicly tweeting these things? Well, because credibility later on, because he said he tweeted this soon as the president took office, he tweeted that CIA employees should come to his law firm to lawfully challenge the new president. So he was recruiting Mm -hmm. CIA agents. He's like a, the guy with the mesothelioma commercials. Yes. Like, yes. You, if, do you have mesothelioma? Come would to you my like, office. Would you like to impeach this president? <laughs> we can help. Okay, so that's who this guy is. He's calling for CIA agents to come into his office who want to help get this president impeached. That's at inauguration. Now, the whistleblower happens to be a CIA agent. He happens to be the guy who was at 
uh, Joe Biden's side. He's the guy who was in the Oval Office when Barack Obama was calling in all of the investigators into Washington from Ukraine and having a very awkward meeting that even the good guy prosecutors all said was really weird. Basically, they called us into Washington to see if we could help them find dirt on Donald Trump. He was the guy who is at the embassy helping Chalupa. He's in the White House organizing things with Chalupa. This is the woman who was the one that coordinated and did all of the Trump uh, investigation was the go-between, it appears, between um, uh, the Ukrainians and the uh, Fusion GPS. And it's also a fried flour tortilla wrapped around yeah, meat, cheese, right. sour cream, lettuce, and right. tomatoes. Right. So now, so now this is just a this is just a coincidence that he was you know that he was involved in with all of these people. It's a coincidence that his attorney is talking about a coup and taking him out and plotting an impeachment. It's also a coincidence that the day after uh, Robert Mueller is it closes his case and says there's nothing here the guy comes out and says oh i i've got a concern but doesn't say quid pro quo says i i've got a concern about a phone call really that's wow that's interesting and they immediately shift gears from muller to this guy he goes to adam schiff and then all of a sudden he has an attorney guess who schiff sends him to this guy he now has an attorney, and he includes quid quid pro quo. That's re- all of that is just a coincidence. It's. I mean, I blow your mind here. I don't think it is. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you I know, know it's weird. It's almost as if they had a. a I mean, uh, is there a doubt? At this point, that there are large amounts of people working not only for the left and Democrats, but also just in the State Department and other places in the government, whose entire goal since Donald Trump took president was to make him not president anymore. I, mean, I, I don't think there's a, really a doubt on that at all. No. Nope. Right. I mean, like, that's nope. clearly true. And they, you know, they would probably say, well, we did it for because of good reasons. He was doing things that were erratic for the country and bad for the country, blah, blah, blah. OK, whatever. You can believe that if you want. However, the guy was elected president of the United States, exactly and right. he controls these things. And if he controls these things, it's your job to either support them or resign, um, unless you believe something illegal is going on, which some of them say there was, and they did this whistleblower thing. All that is fine, but it's all inside of an obvious structure and movement within the government and within the Democratic Party to get this guy removed from office the second he was elected. And that is, you know, that is a that's a it's an undercurrent that can't be ignored. So this whistleblower, it is it is critical that this whistleblower makes it to an open witness stand and the cross examination is prepared to ask him about all of the things that he was doing in Ukraine because he's the linchpin. He's the go between on all of these things. On Fusion GPS, on the Joe Biden corruption, on on all of it. He is the accountant. Now, the press, I've never seen anything like it. And it felt weird at the time. As soon as they started talking about this whistleblower, 
And they said, well, who is the whistleblower? The minute that question was asked, you're going to get him killed. You're going to get him killed. Wait, we're just wondering who he is. You're going to get him killed. 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 Well, now I know why. This guy is more dangerous to the DNC than, than Jeffrey Epstein. If this guy isn't protected, not from the right, but from the left, this guy's going to end up hanging himself with paper sheets while in custody. This guy is the buried body. He knows all of it. He's the tie between all of it. He is the key to the massive corruption of the DNC. And I don't think anybody wants to get into that. Now, they're, they're again saying that uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, outed him. And so Donald Trump Jr. is going to get him killed. Believe me, everyone on the right wants him to testify. When you know his name and you see the connections and you've watched our special on Ukraine, you know he's the most important person to put on the stand. You want him alive. You want him to testify. I want him under protection of the Republicans, not the Democrats. Because this guy knows where all the bodies are buried. And if this guy testifies, you're going to be able to pull his testimony apart and you'll see what's really going on. And believe me, believe me, next Wednesday, a week from yesterday, we're going to go through what's really going on, what really happened in Ukraine. We thought we knew. Oh, no, it's much worse than that. It's much worse than that. This guy, I'm telling you, is in danger, but he's in danger from the left. And everyone on the right needs to protect this guy. Everybody on the right needs to make it very clear. We want him to testify. We want him alive and healthy and well-rested because this guy must go on the witness stand. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Pat has uh, written a song, uh, and uh, it's about the whistleblower because no one mm-hmm. wants to talk about the whistleblower. Uh, you know, Rand Paul is being pretty brave uh, by continually saying, you know, we need to know the whistleblower's name and then tweeting out articles with the guy's name in it. <laughs> uh, and he's fighting for the right mm-hmm. to say the name in Congress, mm-hmm. but it's just going to be an absolute nightmare. But I think yeah. he's, you don't want to say the name. Well, you just don't want to say it. You don't? No. So you wrote a song about the yes. ab- about, about about the not wanting to say the name. Yeah. Okay. And it's, so it's it's kind where of mysterious. It, where did it come from? Where did this It really came from a place of mystery. Uh and then and then somebody walked into my studio this morning about uh, 6:30. Yeah. And huh. and said to me, uh Pat, and I thought at first I thought it was Colonel Sanders. Right. Uh, you know, from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Might have been oh, the yeah. ghost of yeah. Colonel Sanders. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, how, was was he thinner than Colonel Sanders? Would you no, say? no. Mm. Oh, good golly, no. <laughs> no. 
It's the much, same size. No, did he's a little smell bit like okay. chicken? Yes, he yeah, did. He did yes, smell he did. like chicken. And he was larger than, than okay. Colonel Sanders. All right, Sanders we got was. the larger part, yes. Um, but, uh, but much, much, much larger. Oh, we, 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 than got Colonel we, was. we got it. We got it. But he sat down in my studio and he said, hey, mm-hmm. I've written a song. I've given you the lyrics. You just come up with the music and okay. sing it. And hmm. so and it's like a me, Bernie Toppin. Yeah. Uh, Elton John sort kind of, of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. So did the lyrics speak to you? They did. They did speak to me. All right. And so Okay, so here it I is. I want to share it now. Okay, this I is could. the song. It's a little <clears throat> mysterious. It's a uh, I guess it's kind about, of about the, sort of about the whistleblower. Sort of about the whistleblower in, in a roundabout is. way. Yes. Eric Charamella. <laughs> Eric Charamella. Eric Charamella. Eric Charamella. Huh. Charmella, Charmella, Eric, Eric, Charmella, Eric, Charmella, 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 Eric. That wow. is really yeah, wow, you. Pat. That's catchy. Thank you. Did so, you sample some yeah. so, music there? There's something that seemed familiar about the actual really? music. I don't know. I think it's just. I think it's the lyrics are so catchy. You just uh, kind of feel like it's so familiar. Like I feel like I've heard it a hundred. What do you times, call that right? song? I call it Eric Charamella. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really. I don't know why. Yeah. It just kind of hit me. I, I, you know, when Colonel Sanders <laughs> came to me and said, hey, we should, we should do a song, I mm-hmm. thought it should be called uh, The Whistleblower by Another Name. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Wow, that's deep. Yeah, that's steep. Yeah, that's deep. it's a little more subtle yeah. than the name I had for it. So, <laughs> and your name for yeah. it was uh, Eric Charamella. Okay. Wow, yeah. that is uh, that's weird. That's yeah, weird. It is weird. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, but, Pat, how do you how where do you think this goes? Mm-hmm. You know, next week they're now going to actually have the open hearings mm-hmm. in the House, and it's all going to mm-hmm. be covered. You know, the, which mm-hmm. is weird. Why would you do this? This close to Thanksgiving and Christmas. In yeah. two weeks, in two weeks, everybody unplugs. Yeah. Well, including Congress, right? They're going to be going home pretty soon. Yeah. They're going to be going home for the holidays. Don't they always? They leave they for like a do. month. Although this is so This important, is so important. Pat, yeah, we got to get this wrapped up. Yeah, I mean, because there was uh, extensive <clears throat> reporting in October that the Democrats were slow playing this intentionally because they wanted to drag it out. And now all of a sudden, they're, are they rushing through this? I mean, next week they're going to be doing these hearings. Uh, you're right. I mean, if it happens, if, if they're doing it, remember, um, give me an example of this, uh, George W. Bush, uh, he's president of the United States, and they pushed through a ban on incandescent light bulbs. Yep. Remember when this mm-hmm. happened? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Right, right. Was it Christmas, Christmas. or Christmas Eve? I Christmas. can't remember. So they were there voting on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they do a lot of stuff like that. Where they'll throw it in the holidays because they know it well. Your attention, uh, healthcare, right? Yeah, healthcare that was right around the holidays. Yeah, time. Yeah, yeah twenty. Right, yeah, like yeah, right, right before, before Christmas. Christmas. Before Christmas, yeah. and nobody is around to watch it. It's the mm-hmm. tree fall. But if the mm-hmm. tree falls in Congress around Christmas time, yeah. did a tree actually fall? I mean, we barely want to pay attention to these people on regular days. Yeah, you know, when it's it's Christmas, you're with your family, you're doing the family things, you're vomiting after a party. These are mm-hmm. not times necessarily you want to look at this. You'd think the only reason why you want an impeachment here is to draw a lot of eyeballs from Americans who are saying, oh, my gosh, the president got impeached. Right. You want this to be a big media event because we know he's not getting tossed out of the Senate. Unless, may I? Yeah. Let me play devil's advocate. And by saying devil's advocate, I mean literally (laughs) devil's advocate. Um, Advocating for Satan. Advocating for Satan in this particular case. Mm -hmm. Um. Madam Speaker, 
if I may, Mm -hmm. the case against the president, a little thin, (laughs) a little thin. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also going to be free to make accusations on the other side, which puts you and the DNC in uh, real trouble. Now, right now, the poll numbers are okay. You've done damage. They're good. To the, you've yeah. done damage to the president. If you're a Democrat, they're, pre- they're pretty good right now. Right, right now. You, you, so you've done your damage. You've sent the signal to your people. May I suggest it's in your best interest to ram this through when no one's watching. And if the Senate then says, there's nothing here, they'll vote for that and you can pick it up after the first of the year and say, we had a case. We had a case. You could say anything about that case. Mm-hmm. The media is not going to mm-hmm. report. The media is not going to correct you. Yeah, you can say, say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. They're going to say he was impeached, but this, this, this Senate that was in the bag for the president wouldn't take it up. That's why I really believe if they vote to impeach, the Senate needs to say, fine, we'll pick it up after the first of the year. And then the go with the trial, go with it and make sure that Elizabeth Warren and everybody else is have to off be there. that campaign trail. Yeah. Yep. That's a requirement. In yep. case you don't know, yep. they can, they, we'd have Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, among others that you'd would have, have to be, all that have to be there. They don't want that to happen. So make sure that they are seated in the Senate for this impeachment off of the campaign trail. Oh, that would be great. And get the best damn prosecutor uh, to to do your defense. I You got to stop playing defense. You need offense. So you get your team to ask and cross-examine all of these witnesses because that whistleblower is connected to all the stuff that nobody mm. wants you to, uh, nobody wants revealed. That's, that's a plausible case. It, seemed, it would be a reversal seemingly from their position just a few weeks ago, but it does seem like a plausible case. Uh, it makes sense for them. It doesn't help the senators, but I don't know. Maybe the DNC, you know, the House doesn't really care about that. No, they're all they're doing is they want to be able to say to their base, "We did it. We, we did, did it. it. Yeah, we impeached him, but it, and, it's their and, fault. They wouldn't try him." And I'll say too, these cases. We, if one thing we've learned about all these Trump investigations is the cases always look best until you actually hear from the people, right? Like the case, you know, uh, James Comey looked really credible at one point, and then all of a sudden he was out testifying. Everyone's like, "Wait a minute, this guy doesn't connect with me at all. He's he, he's obviously got some agenda." Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Cohen, that was a huge deal, right? Like everyone, this is a guy who's the closest associate is is is, is abandoning him. Goes out in front and testifies in front of cameras, and everyone's like, "Oh, this guy's a joke." Uh, Roger Robert Mueller, the investigation, the investigation. I mean, if you watch the media reporting, I mean, this was a open and shut case the entire time it was going on until we got the investigation and people read it and were like, oh, that's it. And I think like that has been a, a pattern that's gone on over and over again. The, the Taylor testimony with the texts and, and, and his opening statement, you know, has some compelling parts to it. If you believe the president did something wrong. I wonder, though, when he gets in front of the cameras again, which is supposed to happen next week, how much of that falls apart? Does he look like this unimpeachable witness then? And how bad was Mueller when he testified? Oh, and when he testified, it was a total disaster. Yeah, he could barely he could barely get through a sentence. This one is amazing. I will tell you though, this is a death match. This uh, this is truly a death match. I think that um, they're doing damage to the president, uh, and they're giving him body blow after body blow after body blow. Quite honestly, the GOP is doing a 
horrendous job. As always. Horrendous job. As always. Uh, there's no friend to the president that is doing him any service right now. Uh, and I believe, I mean, I'm not standing up for the president. I'm standing up for the truth. <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if this audience doesn't think that if Trump was doing all these bad things and it was impeachable, if you think I wouldn't be making the case that he should be impeached, you're wrong. I would absolutely do that. And my my track record is very clear. I'm not defending him because I'm a Trump supporter. I'm defending him because he's being wronged. He's being wronged. This is wrong. It's almost to the point where he should demand a trial in the Senate. I would. He should. I would. He should demand it. And, yep. and let's see what you have. Yep. Make that case. Go. Make the case against Go. Me. I want this to be an open yeah. trial. And I'm going to have, I'm going to have, I've got so much information. You know, Stu came in and he didn't see the special last week. And he said, you know, Rudy Giuliani, blah, blah, blah. And I agree. Remember, I used to say, Mm -hmm. I kind of want Rudy Giuliani uh, as president. But if you're in the room with Rudy Giuliani, this is like 15 years ago. But if you're in the room with Rudy Giuliani And the guy who is pissing him off all the time is suddenly not at the White House. (laughs) Don't ask him, hey, what happened to Bob? Because he might be in the Rose Garden, okay, underground. Right. So I know who Rudy Giuliani is. I know who Rudy Giuliani is. But if you look at what the accusations are on Rudy Giuliani, yes. He looks like he was um, representing some bad guys. Well, he was also representing some people at the request of Hunter Biden, who were bad guys in another, con- in another yeah, country. He, that was kind of his uh, post-mayoral. Uh, that's what he did. It's what he right? does. He went out and he took a bunch of money to right. defend a bunch of people. And I don't necessarily. Well, he's a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that. But, but he got yeah, lots of money to, to defend people that nece- weren't necessarily. Yeah, 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 but he's a lawyer. Yeah, he's right. a, I, I, he got to defend the bad guys as well as good, right? Yeah, that's the way the but he did works. become kind of like a mob lawyer. But again, <laughs> again, it's Rudy Giuliani. How do you think he cleaned up New York? Okay, <laughs> with Disney. But when you, <laughs> but when you look at what they're actually saying he was up front and open about all of it yeah, he said a lot yeah, of it on television yeah he was like hey i'm going over and meeting with these guys hey i just met with them they said some bad things hey i've got all this paperwork i'm <laughs> delivering it to the state department hey they haven't done mm-hmm. anything i'm gonna go back and start looking for some more stuff because they don't seem to there's not, <laughs> yeah. if he's a crook he's a really bad crook <laughs> and the one thing i don't believe of rudy giuliani is that no. he's inept at his crookery. (laughs) (laughs) What a nice compliment. That's so nice, Glenn. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Okay, we all know we need to clean up Washington. And we've been down this road a million times. Uh, Who are we going to send to Washington that can actually have a backbone and actually do the right thing and who's willing to stand? Now... I am never going to endorse anyone 
ever again. <laughs> and mainly because if I endorse someone, they lose. Um, but I will tell you, uh, this is a friend of mine. He's been on the show several times. He's an NFL Super Bowl champion. Uh, he is also the author of a great book called Liberalism or How, uh, or How to Turn Good Men into Whiners, Weenies, and Wimps, uh, where he exposes the roots of the NAACP and everything else. His name is Burgess Owens. He announced yesterday that he is running for Congress. Hello, Burgess. How are you? Glenn, how you doing, my friend? Good talking with you, and uh, I'm all in on that endorsement, buddy. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no, run, no, no, run, run, run. I'm not endorsing anybody. It's the kiss of death. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate, I appreciate this, this opportunity to, to talk to your audience, and, and I'm so excited about the opportunity uh, to just uh, to talk about our country and, and, and come back to our basic uh, uh, fundamental uh, things that has allowed us to be the great nation we are. So this, this it's a good, good chance to get started with that for sure. This is the first time, uh, you know, we had dinner together at a fundraiser um, this last Saturday. And uh, I didn't even have to ask you how your soul was. Um, you're the first guy I think that I've I've ever thought. No, I know his soul. I, I know you're. You are possibly. Um, I don't know what it is with Mike Lee, but he hasn't lost his soul, and he's able to stand. And I I sense the same thing in you that you're you know exactly what you're walking into. So why are you walking into it? It is, it's uh, it's interesting because I, I'm one of those guys who never ever consider myself to uh, to look at the political arena as, as something that's a solution for me or something I want to be involved with. But you know, I've I've been uh, as you know, I've had a passion for our kids, and ever since I left the NFL, I've always known that uh, to get our country back, we need to get our kids back. I thought about this back in '83 when I retired. It's, it's just being a a black community thing. I now know it's it's not a black community thing. It's it's an all all community thing that our kids are at risk. And about four months ago, I had an epiphany that even though I'm doing things here in, in, in Utah for at-risk kids coming out of the juvenile system, that uh, it doesn't matter. It really does, if we don't get back uh, our country from the leftists, uh, we will allow the leftists to do uh, for the rest of our country what it's done for my community. And what they've done in my community, uh, Glenn, is, is a travesty. <clears throat> I think the fact is the biggest part of that is most people have no idea how successful we were when we were uh, embracing the American way, the American culture. And I call it head, heart, hand, and home. We, we're, we're educating ourselves. We were believing in God in a big way. 70% of our, of our black men were committed to marriage. We were industrious, leading our country in terms of the growth of middle class because we had more entrepreneurs than ever before. 40% of us were entrepreneurs. And we believed in family units. That was our, our, our foundation. That was our core. And the leftists came in through the NAACP and other black elitists and destroyed it. So we cannot allow that to happen to our country. This, we're at a point where so much is at risk, so much is needed, and we need to, as we the people, come together once again like we always have done, wake up, recognize we're under attack, and let's fight these guys, win our country back so our kids have a, a hopeful and encouraging future in which we can look at each other from inside out, not outside in. So Burgess, you're a you're a business guy. I mean, you were a football player, and then you went into. I mean, maybe this is why I think you might make it is because you uh, you're not about politics. I mean, I can't even imagine you in that group because it's just not you. Well, I mean that as a compliment, think, by the way. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, I think uh, when it comes down to it, um, 
you know, our country was was built on people who who wanted to give service. We we looked at uh, an opportunity to go out and serve uh, serve our fellow men, uh, put into place policies that we can live with, and come back and be part of that of that process. We then live with what what we uh, uh, results of what we put in place. We need to get back to that. The, the biggest problem we're having today is, is what I call elitist. And it's, 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 it's something that happens when people uh, uh, kind of becoming engaged. Uh, they, they're no longer part of that middle class, uh, that understanding of what makes the middle class go what it is. And they, they, they kind of see themselves in a different sphere. Again, we've had that problem in my community for, for, for way too long. We have people who live the American dream. Uh, they have power. They have money. They, they have protection. They have everything they need, but they cannot relate to those who's trying to follow them. They pull the bridge up because uh, of the Marxist and socialist ideology they have embraced, the anti-God ideology they have embraced. So I, I think I represent, and I hope I represent, particular values of Utah. Uh, we believe in our kids. We believe in our God. Uh, we believe in our country. And, and we particularly believe in respect, starting off respecting of God and respecting of our women, uh, our womanhood. We, we do that back again, like, like, like when I was taught, when I was growing up, I tell you, this, this could be such a, a great place for those who right now don't feel that, uh, that, that, that this is a place of hope. We can give them, once again, an understanding of what America is all about. Okay, so you're going after a Democrat. This is, usually, this is <laughs> Utah's fourth congressional district. It's usually Republican, isn't it? It is. It is usually Republican. Um, uh, this is the seat that Mila lost uh, a, a couple of years ago. Uh, and and the, the person that I'm, I'm running against, I hear is a nice guy. But the problem is this. He's, he's supporting and he's part of a party that's not really been nice to my, my, my race. Uh, and this is what I'm hoping people can understand. It's not about personality. It's not about party. It's about policies. If you have a policy, a, a party that puts in policies that allows 75% of the black boys in the state of California uh, cannot pass reading and writing tests, where over the Obama years, 83% of black boys, teen males across the country could not find jobs and become soon become un- unemployable. We have uh, an abortion industry that's targeting our kids. 20 million of our black babies have been killed since 1973, and it's been because 80% of those abortions are put into my community. Those are the kind of things we need to look at. It's about, the, about, the, it's about a party that, that that's, it is against everything I just talked about. They're against education. They're against, against industry. They're against God. They're against the family unit. So it's not, really not about a people thing. It's not about me against the, the particularly incumbent right now. It's the party that I believe we as a people need to recognize it's not been good for, for my race and for those who have a heart. If it's not good for my race, it's not good for America. Burgess Owens. Uh, Burgess Owens uh, is uh, running. Uh, do, you have, do you have a website that people can go to? Yes, or? Yes, yes, I do. Burgess for Utah, the, the, the number four. And before, again, of those tenants, head, heart, hands, and home. And, Glenn, I believe that this is an opportunity for Americans to unite finally. We've never been more divided than we are today. We have good people in Democratic Party, good people in independents and Republicans. We have to those who love America. Let's focus on head, heart, hands, and home. Education, God, family, and industry. Those of us who believe in that will come together, coalesce, come, and then not allow the other side, the leftists, to divide us. This is a chance for unity, guys, and I think we, we can do this because we, the people, have, have, have been, been the very best at focusing on what the American culture is all about. Thank you, Burgess. I appreciate it. God bless. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, guys. You bet. Okay. Uh, Burgess for Utah. Um, again, not endorsing. Yeah, I mean, I like the guy a lot. It's a lot to like. 
This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Like listening to this podcast? If you're not a subscriber, become one now on iTunes. And while you're there, do us a favor and rate the show. Rabbi Lappin, born into a prestigious Torah family. He was a student of his father, also Rabbi Lappin, who served the Jewish communities in Johannesburg and Cape Town. He is uh, a very good friend, a really decent man, and uh, you'll learn more from Rabbi Lappin in 20 minutes than most people will be able to teach you in, in, in a lifetime. Welcome. Well, now you've set me up to go nowhere but down. <laughs> I know. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Live up to that standard. How are you, Rabbi? Couldn't be better. Thank good, you, Glenn. Good. Wonderful to be with you. Uh, so I want to. I want to ask you. There was a. There was a, somebody who just lost their job at Fox a couple of weeks ago because they said, you know, I don't understand the, the God. They the the Democrats, and he didn't mean all Democrats, but the left. They'll they'll say they believe in God. He said, but I don't recognize their God. He said, I think it's more like uh, Baal. Uh, I wrote a book about the, the eye of Moloch. I think he's right. I think he's right. But he lost his job for that. Um, what does that what for people who don't know what he was talking about? Who is that God? Well, first of all, I mean, the question is whether that is really uh, who the left worships and I think it just may be um, overly technical in this sense that, um, and if I if I can disagree with you slightly, I'm not sure history is repeating itself. I think we are now in a period unprecedented in American history. In this epoch, we've never seen anything like this before because uh, what we have now is a huge divide mm-hmm. between the left and everybody else. And the left today has become an almost unmanageable collection of creeps and crooks and clowns and cranks. <laughs> I mean, just look at what makes mm-hmm. the left up today. Um, essentially, it's you might think of the left as the urban atheists of America. That's mm-hmm. that's essentially uh, the unifying creed. I think that's a slam on atheists. I really do. I know some atheists. They're not like that. I mean, some atheists are, but some, you know. And, and some are not. Now, we may right. be thinking of, of uh, a mutual friend with, with yeah, whom yeah. I was once yeah, yeah, together yeah. with, with you yeah. on, this, on this very show, right. uh, who yeah, most decidedly isn't. And, and you're right. I, I have to take it back with regard to people like him and many others. But, um, but there is a sense of, of worship on the left. And the only question is, what are they worshiping? Now, we could say they're worshiping Baal, uh, as, as you said. Um, we could also say that the divide is between those who worship the big G of God and the little G of government. Yeah, uh, There is a huge worship. Now, is the left a religion? Is it a belief system or is it just a political credo? And I, I would have to say it's a belief system. Yeah, I really. think it's a religion. And one, you know, it's what distinguishes a religion from a tennis club, for instance? I mean, right. uh, you know, the Scientologists have a re- Everybody wants to call their, their lives a religion. Right. Uh, many people don't. But what it is that, um, that distinguishes a religion from, you know, a model railroad society, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, is that a religion has to tackle and answer the three basic questions, the, the fundamental questions. And, um, you know, if, if you've got an inquisitive kid sitting next to you on an airplane, 
the kid asks the, the three fundamental questions. Where are you from? Where are you going? And what do you do? Mm-hmm. So uh, where are we from? How did human beings capable of moving from being land-bound creatures in 1902 uh, to 2019, where we've got more than 10,000 airplanes in the air at any given moment. Like, we are anybody who remains an atheist in contemplating the fact that it's not otters or beavers or camels or cows or kangaroos that have achieved this. It's something touched by the finger of God, a creature called human beings made this leap into the air. We're extraordinary creatures, but how did we get to this planet? And as far as we know at the moment, uniquely in this vast empty universe, we got to answer the question of how we got here. And um, and I answer that, that a, uh, a God created us in his image and put us here. My answer is quick, brief, and simple. Uh, non-provable, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the religion of secular fundamentalism, which is, I think, a better term than a, you're right, Mm-hmm. I, I withdraw atheists. Secular fundamentalism is the official state religion of America. But why are they a religion? Because they answer that question. They say by a lengthy process of unaided materialistic evolution, primitive protoplasm turned into bookkeepers and ballerinas. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not provable either. But it's a belief. You also have to answer the second question. And, and hang is, on, isn't it a, isn't a sign of a religion when the belief goes from a theory to a defended at all costs belief? And that's what it is, because otherwise there's no way to explain why a group of gray-haired old ladies on the Upper East Side of New York have to file a lawsuit against a Louisiana parish for teaching creationism. What they are doing is just what the Muslims did when they invaded the Iberian Peninsula in the 7th century, basically demolished the Catholic churches and turned them into mosques. Mm -hmm. Uh, You cannot withstand heresy. If you are a devoted believer in your faith, and right there in front of you, right in your face, somebody is committing heresy, you kill them. Mm -hmm. And so what is the connection between a group of uh, ladies on the Upper East Side of New York and a Louisiana parish? Louisiana parish has the audacity to violate their belief system that we are here through a process of lengthy, unaided materialistic evolution by daring to teach creationism. Well, of course that's outrageous. And so we've got these two, uh, this clash between two cultures in America. We are no longer one nation under God. We are two nations occupying the same piece of real estate. And in this sense, history repeats itself because in the middle of the 19th century, we also found ourselves two nations occupying the same piece of real estate. That time we had to solve it by bullets, and I hope this time we can solve it by ballots. And that was why the religion of secular fundamentalism hates Donald Trump so much. Okay, so let me go back to uh, Baal or, or Moloch. Same God in the Old Testament? Moloch, Baal? Same interchangeable? Uh, n- no, no, not interchangeable, but close. Okay. Yeah. Um, Fellow travelers. Yeah, okay. So um, the reason why I say that they that I think this guy from Fox was, was actually onto something is not that they knowingly are worshiping, but we are unknowingly doing all of the same things their worshipers did. Sure. Well, Can you instance, go into that? Yes, yeah, certainly. One of, the, um, one of the outstanding characteristics of both Moloch and Baal, and, and you've, you've spoken about this many times, I've heard you, 
um, is that uh, they used to sacrifice their kids. Now, you got a little bit of this as well, as well um, among the um, Egyptians during the Pharaoh time. And, uh, but in, in, in practice, this worship means that you have to, you sacrifice your children as a way of expressing your fealty to the Well, how you do it and the reasons you do it are probably not that important, but we do it here. In other words, right now, in America, there are two cultures, and you can find some of the nicer small towns in America which are basically governed and shaped by those who worship the big G of God. And then you've got cities like New York and Detroit and Baltimore, Newark, and many, many other cities today on the West Coast, California particularly, that are run by those who worship something else entirely. Now, where are the lives of young males sacrificed? It's clear. Where? In the cities that are run by secular fundamentalism, young men in disproportionate numbers end up in the criminal justice system and in jail. Their lives are sacrificed completely. And that is an exact fulfillment. In other words, what we do is so important that we don't care if it costs the lives of our sons. And that is what the culture is saying. We are so devoted to a lifestyle with absolutely no divine restraints. Because after all, I mean, what has held Western civilization together for centuries is really the, uh, the essential rituals and restraints and rules of religion. Mm-hmm. We want to toss all of that out. None of that holds. Uh, we want to do whatever we choose to sexually, and we want to do whatever we choose to financially, which usually means uh, taking it away from uh, those who have created it and bestowing it upon mm-hmm. those who are living multi-generational dysfunctionality. Mm-hmm. So uh, I- as long as we can do the things we want to do, the fact that our sons end up dead and in jail that's just a, f- a fair price to pay. If you're a believer in Baal or secular fundamentalism, that's a deal with the devil you absolutely make. And you can see. And I mean, just you, look at America. You're also sacrificing your newborns, which they did. Absolutely. Uh, you, <clears throat> you, to be a follower, you had to have, you know, orgies and sex, get pregnant, and then you would return and sacrifice your newborn on the altar and, and celebrate, literally celebrate the death of that child. And... That's what we're seeing with with people who are are touting Planned Parenthood. And if you think about it, it's it's the most unbelievably selfish lifestyle. What you're saying is, I want to do whatever I darn well choose to, and if the next generation has to pay for it with their lives, hey, so be it. You said once we were talking about um, uh, Occupy Wall Street. And I don't know if you remember this. I do. Um, but you were talking about uh, excrement. And how that is, <laughs> yes, it is actually part of of all of this. Yeah, and you see it now. It's, I mean, it's in the big progressive cities. It's everywhere on the streets, yeah. and no. that's like that. I I never grew up with ever hearing about stuff like that. So I'll tell you when it used to happen. You didn't hear about it much, but when you were growing up. What you used to come across, and and again, we didn't in our day-to-day lives, we didn't, but I know you have friends in law enforcement as I do, and I remember going back to to Los Angeles in the um, the 80s, Uh, they would tell me what the scene of a break-in sometimes looked like. 
when they would come to a place that had been robbed, usually on the west side of Los Angeles, Brentwood, Santa Monica, Beverly mm-hmm. Hills, mm-hmm. Beverly Wood, uh, in, in those uh, upscale areas, when those houses were broken into, they almost invariably discovered that those who broke in had uh, left a fecal business card behind, usually on the living room carpet. Hmm. That's what they did. Uh, because in primitive societies, right, and all societies that are stripped of faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob eventually devolve into primitivism. Mm -hmm. And we see that, by the way, today also with piercings, uh, body piercings going Mm -hmm. on, very indistinguishable from the cannibals of New Guinea of 100 Mm -hmm. years ago. Uh, Body piercings is an expression of primitivism and tribalism. And when you strip away uh, biblical Judeo-Christian values, then automatically we devolve down into that. And so uh, these people were expressing their contempt for the homes into which they had illegally invaded by depositing this. We'll also find that in uh, low-grade street language, one of the worst invectives you can hurl at somebody also has to do Mm -hmm. with that part of the anatomy. So this is very primitive. This is very basic. Um, This is basically toddlers who are 30 and 40 years old still acting Mm. like toddlers. Baal is central to that. All right. uh, We're back with uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.